All right, we're back. It's been a while since we've talked, Andrew. Yeah, we haven't talked in a little while. Probably like three weeks or something like that. What have you been up to? Yeah, I'll be chilling. Oh, you mean what, like, bullshit I've been watching? Uh... Yeah. <laughs> All right, look, look. All right, on the, on the subject of Jerry Lewis, one other movie I watched by Jerry Lewis is, I, you know, I liked watching The Nutty Professor, and I'm, you know, I'm glad we got to talk about it and everything. Yeah. But part of me does wish that I would have just suggested we watch The Ladies' Man, which I understand is probably maybe his most celebrated movie, at least, like, from my from what I've seen. Yeah. And after watching it, I like it more than The Nutty Professor, and I do think that the movie has more going on in it that is sort of congruent to a lot of other movies and things that we've talked about on the podcast before. Like okay. that kind of like with nothing to say podcast mindset sort of thing. Yeah. It is a movie about a guy, a bumbling fool, not like Nutty Professor level. It's like somewhere in between who graduates college and his girlfriend leaves him. And so he's upset and he doesn't want to be with women anymore. And what happens is, is that he inadvertently gets a job at a home where a ton of women live in it. And so he's just kind of like there to work and take care of the house. So a lot of like funny little gags and stuff happen. The house is this crazy multi-level set that Jerry Lewis built that's huge. And it's like cut out like a dollhouse. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah you know, like a playtime-esque kind of thing where you can see into like all the different rooms and stuff. Oh, very cool. Yeah. He runs into like all the different like people that live in the house and they all have like different personalities and he's interacting with them and stuff like that. And it's a really funny movie. And from a production point of view, I think it is much more, um, much more audacious than like uh, The Nutty Professor is. And I thought it was like really good and really funny and it had some amazing stuff in it. So I kind of wish we would have picked that movie because I think it's better. And I think there's also there's also something very like European about it. You know, we talked about umbrella like I, I was thinking of like umbrellas for sure Sherbeau. Sherbeau, and, like, yeah. And uh, playtime and like other stuff like that. And you know, one other thing about Jerry Lewis that's funny is that French critics at the time loved him. Yeah. He's very famous <laughs> in France. Because they love like the auteur theory, and for them, I guess like the Jerry Lewis auteur Jerry Lewis auteur vision was very clear to them. So they would hype him up all the oh, time. Oh, that makes sense. So that's another Jerry Lewis bit of lore that's very weird and interesting about him. It's fascinating. Well, I'm definitely up on the list. I mean, I really enjoyed The Night Professor, and that sounds like a film I would very much enjoy. So to all our listeners out there. The ladies' man? Is that what's called? The ladies' man? The ladies' man, yeah. Well, since we've last talked, I have conquered Seinfeld. I only have a few episodes left nice. in the final season. And I can say with a surety that I have found the best joke in all of Seinfeld. I have narrowed it down to one joke. Okay, yeah. In season eight, episode 15, called Susie, George Costanza, the one and only, wants to go to a ball. His girlfriend, which is always seemingly, for some reason, really beautiful. Like, George Costanza gets these really beautiful ladies. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I think is hilarious. It's just like this little... But he always... But he always... Me- but it's, he always messes it up, though, too. He always screws it up. So at the very beginning of the episode, she wants to have the talk. But George Costanza, he really wants to go to the ball. And he knows what the talk is. So his right. plan 
is simply just not talk to her. If he doesn't talk to her, they can't break up. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so, uh, during this, here I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play this joke for you because I think it's perfect. And so during this episode, George Costanza is at home and he can't answer the phone. Everything has to go to the answering machine because yeah. he doesn't know if it's her. Because if he answers and it's her, she'll immediately tell him to break up. So I'm going to yeah. play for you in full this joke. Tell me if you can hear this. Right. The voicemail, yeah. It's a classic one. Believe it or not, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, that is such a, that is so, yeah, that that is like a beautiful, the answering machine. Yeah, you've never seen that before or heard it before? I had never seen it before. Wow. That is such a funny, I love that bit. It's so, believe it or not, I'm not. George, is it? It's so, it's so That comes out of nowhere. Yeah, it comes out of complete left field because that has nothing to do with like the rest of the episode. And there's no like real reason why it needs to be in the show. But the fact that it is, it's perfect. It's you, the you finished of it? Seinfeld. I have a couple episodes left in the final season. So I'm pretty close. But I can say it quite, with some confidence that that is the greatest joke in all of Seinfeld. It's pretty fucking good, yeah. But yeah, you're you're on your way to Curb, though. You gotta watch Curb. Yeah, Curb's coming up. Curb is chill. Have you watched Jury Duty yet? Jury Duty? Yeah. Oh, the episode? No, like the show. The show? Yeah. I don't think so. Do you uh-huh. know about the show? No, please tell me more. Uh, we watched it. We watched it in like two days. Oh, shit. New show. It's like eight episodes. Comedy show. It's a free V original. Yeah. So so get this. So it's a it's a and uh, this is a recommendation to you. I don't see why you would not like it. It's a show about a case. It's about a jury. A jury. They have this case. It's like this um, civil case, you know, having to do with like a business, and um, they're being filmed for a documentary. But the thing is, is that one of the guys on the jury, named Ronald, is a real person, and everyone else is an actor. So the whole thing is fake. All the other jurors, the defendant, the judge, everyone <laughs> in it, it, he's basically in a television show, but he thinks it's real. So it's like a uh, Truman Show sort of thing, kind of, except real? Yeah. Yep. Okay. And so, like, yeah, they, they, he basically for weeks is in this constructed thing in which he thinks he's like on a jury for an actual case but he's being filmed like for this comedy show and everybody is comedic actors and everything is written out and everyone has very distinct personalities and they do silly things and they're able to get him to like live in a hotel room without a phone or internet or anything <laughs> because you know sequester they have to sequester him for the case right. <laughs> and so yeah and so they enter and, and but he thinks he's being filmed for a documentary and it's really 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 funny i we really really liked it the guy that they pick, Ronald, is like the best possible guy you could get for the show because he's like a very nice guy. He's like a yeah. very sweet and endearing, real nice, endearing person. The show is great, too, because they put him in situations where they're not embarrassing him. Like that's not really the goal okay. of the show is to like make him like look stupid or dumb. They put him in situations where he kind of is able to just be like a really good person you know, and they do, they do a really good job of that. And one of the funny things about the show is that, you know, they have the jury and one of the guys on the jury that is uh, James Marsden, the actor. 
but he's playing himself. So James Marsden, the actor, shows up, and Ronald is like, oh, shit, that's James Marsden. You know, and he's like, yeah, I'm James Marsden. I'm trying to get out of doing this. So because I have a role, I got to, you know, and he's and he kind of plays like an asshole version of himself. So I, I love that. That detail is really, really funny. And that never gets old. It's so funny throughout. And yeah, I don't see why you wouldn't like it. It kind of, you know, it's kind of reminds me of just, you know, shows like Nathan for you or something like that, where yeah, it's kind of the gap bridging a gap between like reality and fiction. And it's really I. I was having a really good time with it. It was really funny. Wow. So that, you gotta that watch sounds it. incredible. I'm going to watch it. It's only eight episodes. and How long are the episodes? Like 30 minutes. That sounds like a blast. I would. I don't know if Emily would watch it with me. That might be a, a solo adventure, but that sounds like fun. I, I think it's really, I just, I don't know. I think everyone should watch it. It's really funny. Yeah. The other show, I, I'm still been watching, we've been watching some TV, motherfucker. We've been watching, um, just one other show uh we decided to watch and, and and i'm glad we did because this is one of those shows where you know we talk about like the sopranos and the wire you know where it's like you go on google and you're like the best shows of all time <laughs> right and you get like the sopranos and we love the sopranos but you also get like the wire which is like overrated yeah um another show and and i decided like we try it out because i kept on hearing references of it in, in different places lately. So I'm like, I should really watch it, try it out, see what's up. But I was still skeptical of it because it, it, <clears throat> we decided to start watching the show Deadwood. Right. Western HBO show from like 2004. So it's like, okay, we'll see about it. And we're almost done with the first season. There's only three seasons, 36 episodes. And then a few years ago, they did an epilogue movie. So like the time commitment isn't very high. It rocks. It's a great, yeah? great, great show. It's amazing Western show about, I think it's a real place called Deadwood, which is a basically a ramshackle town that was put together for uh, gold prospectors. Like in the, I think it's in Montana. It's wet, It's a Western, very Western-y, but it's kind of like the Mr. McCabe and Mrs. Miller type Western, the Robert Altman movie where... It's less spaghetti Western. It also kind of reminds me of The Great Silence, but less spaghetti Western, you know, and more like concerned with the business, more in the concern with like money and enterprise and business and government and stuff like that, which I find very compelling and interesting. But there's still a lot of action and a lot of killing. Like a person dies every single episode, pretty much. Like a, one person is killed at least, at least one person dies every episode, pretty much. So there's like a lot of killing and a lot of violence you know, it's it's kind of disgusting, you know, everybody is like, at one point in the first season, we have like one more episode of the first season, you know, at one point, you know, there's like a plague, everybody gets sick, and there's like prostitutes all over the place, and which is fine, but you know, it's like, you know, obviously, they're not treated well, you know, and so they, they are beaten up, and, and it's just like this really kind of dark, gritty, Western show. That's super, you know, it's very dramatic. You know, it's an HBO show. And, you know, Ian McShane is in the show, though. So Ian McShane is the guy that people will most likely know him from. Is He's the hotel guy, Winston, in uh, John Wick movies. And he plays, like, this a character called Al Swearinger. And it might be, I would, I would, I would say, I'm willing to go as far to say as that he might be one of the greatest television antagonist ever he is so good in that show 
and the show has a great cast too. Like Brad Dorif is in the move is in the show too, and he's amazing. Like, but Ian McShane in that role is so good. He's it's kind of unbelievable how good he is in the show. So I would recommend the show. It's a very high quality HBO drama western show. It's good. Uh, yeah, I've of course heard things about Deadwood before, but like you, I've always been a bit skeptical of it. As I, I think it's all. I think it's. I think it's. I think, you think it's, well it's worth warranted. the hype. Yeah, I think wow. so. Yeah. Well, speaking of things that I believe were certainly worth the hype, while flying to New Orleans or from New Orleans, I watched Dazed and Confused for the first time. What? You've never, never seen it? That's ridiculous. I've seen that movie many times. I know. I, it oh, would have been a great times. movie to see, like, right out of high school. It's a great high school movie. I, I, I watched it in high school, yeah. I, mean, I watched it on a plane on a tiny screen, and it was still amazing. It's a good movie. It's a near-perfect film. Everything about it is great. That was Matthew McConaughey's. Uh, it's one of his first performances. I read his biography like a year it, ago. It's a lot of people's first performances. That's one of the fun things about it. Is Richard Linklater is... Yeah, Ben Affleck. Richard Linklater has a great eye for casting. Yeah, he's good. In a lot of his films. And this is like a lot of soon-to-be stars early work and Matthew McConaughey when I was reading Greenlight which is probably about a year ago which I actually do recommend I'm not a huge Matthew McConaughey fan I think he's kind of hit or miss I think he has some stuff that's really good and has stuff that I'm not much of a fan of but I think his biography or autobiography it's kind of more just a collection of essays really about his life he talks about getting cast for this film which was sort of just, he was kind of hanging around set and Richard Linklater was like, that guy should be in the movie. And he was really only supposed to be in that one scene at the bar. Like that was it. It was just supposed to be that one moment and he's never supposed to be in it. But he befriended Richard Linklater and Linklater liked him so much that he put him in like the rest of the movie, which I think cool. is- Yeah, he's, he's, he's funny. He's great. At, all right, all right, all right. It's great. <laughs> great one-liners. That's oh a chill God. movie to watch with friends. I've watched that movie many times with friends. Yeah. Um, doing substances. <laughs> Cause it just kind of hangs there. It's funny. It looks, you know, good. It's got kind of like those seventies, nineties vibes. Yeah. Doing the seventies and the nineties, you know. It's hard for me to say that it's a perfect movie, but it is a really good one. Yeah, you know, Link Ladder, he has his ups and downs, but I think it also shows like, you know, how Link Ladder, you know, he can do the before trilogy, which are just like movies that feature two people. Or he can do like really big ensemble movies that have like a dozen, like two dozen people in them. So I will say like Days and Confused, very like, I, I was thinking, I was, I, that's a movie where like well, the more I think about it, the more it's like, oh, it's not like a very diverse movie. <laughs> like I think it takes place in California, right? Or Texas. Mm-hmm. Never mind. Maybe No, not. California. Oh, California. Okay. Yeah, I think so. I say, I say Texas because Link Ladder is from there. Right. And I think they shot it in Texas. But I think it's supposed to. Cause I'm, I think there's like a license, a California license plate. So I think it's like a somewhere in California. I think there's like one black. There's like one black guy, and there's like no Hispanic people. There's like one Hispanic guy. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so stuff like that is kind of weird. But very I still really movie. like. I yeah, it's a very white movie. But uh, I, I yeah, like that's a good movie where it's like you put it on, and you're just like, yep, I'm in the 70s, 90s. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I mean, there's just so many characters in this film and they all have their own little quirks and things and you yeah immediately recognize all these different people which i think is a very challenging thing to do i mean one of the kind of opposite of the spectrums of the before trilogy is as you said it is just the two characters and basically everything revolves around those two people like it's at the end of the day it's basically just those two 
where this is just a giant cast of people and it kind of just much like the name of the movie it kind of just uh flows from person to person right it's not really following anyone in particular there's no specific plot line it's sort of just a night in these high schoolers life which Mm -hmm. by the way the uh, hazing rituals that take place are very evil i mean it's (laughs) it's very dark like there's some very cruel that's a movie too where it's like there's like it kind of makes you like think like oh there was hazing like in high school like it's high school like i guess there was like i guess people did not like parents and like adults were just like i don't care whatever i don't give a fuck and, and then someone died and they were like oh maybe we should stop like that's pretty yeah. much what hazing happens like a person dies and it's like oh okay yeah that the, yeah that stuff is funny and you know they're like getting condiments like spread all over them and stuff like that and yeah i'm a fan of the movie it's good great watch seen it many times strongly recommend great to have on i like slacker i haven't seen that one that one's kind of similar richard linkletter yes i only want to talk we i mean it's been a while since we talked so going over everything is too no much. i'm not gonna talk about every movie i saw because it's like did we ever talk about the cable guy did we talk about that last time i think you did maybe you did i don't remember we'll move on it, it's again it's been a while i'm gonna talk about a movie i saw in theaters recently actually sure. before i bring that up I only watch one movies and I only watch one movie in theaters the entire time we didn't talk. We didn't record. Really? Yep. To me it's the only one that's worth it in my opinion. Well, I saw I saw Master Gardener, the new Paul Schrader movie. I saw you saw it. They're not showing that here. They were showing it at one theater and when I saw it it was like one of two times they played it. So, we barely got in to go see it. It's like everything else I see in theaters is just like I don't give a fuck. Even like the Mario Brothers movie I was thinking of going seeing. Which is fun. As time went by, the more I was just like, I don't care. I really don't (laughs) care. The only movie that I thought was worth going to see in theaters is this new Paul Schrader movie. Mm -hmm. And I went and saw it. And it was a good movie. So it was a a beautiful movie about being a gardener and falling in love. I don't want to dip too much into the film because I think a Paul Schrader especially a Paul Schrader film is best experienced knowing as little as possible. But the <laughs> only question I do want to ask, because like going to the card counter, not knowing what that film was about made for the best yeah. experience. And I mean, you see the card counter, so you've seen the card counter. So it's not like master gardener is like <laughs> incredibly different, but what are we going to ask? So his last couple of films have had a pretty dark, most of his films have a pretty dark and negative spin to it. Yeah. Does this? Uh, Yeah, sort of, I would say. Like a reveal about the person. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that it does. I will say that the ending is a little bit different than the past couple ones. I'll just leave it at that. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. It'll probably be a while. I think they're showing it at the end of this month at one of the theaters, like around the last week of June. I mean, I think it's worth watching. Yeah. I mean, I definitely want to see it in theaters, but I like the music. I like, I thought it was a good looking movie for the most part. I don't know. It's just like one of the best. Uh, I just think, yeah, one of the best movies I've seen so far this year in theaters. It's technically a 2022 movie. Right. It premiered, did it premiere at Cannes last year? I don't know. It or just premiered at a bunch of places. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, just uh, like last year, but we didn't get into theaters until this year. But, you know, for me, once again, you know, Paul Schrader, you know, Master Gardener, it's like at the end of the day, it's a movie that feels like it was made by a guy. You know, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't made by... You yeah. know, between this and like The Little Mermaid and Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and the new Fast and Furious movie, it's like those movies, I think I'd, like, I'd venture to say, don't feel like they were made by a guy. 
feels like they were probably made by something else, you know, other than a guy. But Master Gardener feels like it was made by a guy where, for better or for worse, you know, he's got his little things that he likes, you know, the the, the gardener. He writes in a journal, just like in the other two movies. Of course he does. Always got to write in a journal. <laughs> they're always writing in journals and stuff. And, they, you know, they're in hotel rooms and stuff. And Yep. You know, so there's a lot of things that he likes that he has to put in his movies, but I don't mind it because at least that makes it feel, you know, like you're having a conversation with a person. Yeah. Wow. Well, hopefully it comes here soon. Yeah. I have a a bit of a story about something we've talked about almost every single week for the past couple of months, which is my movie pass story. Whoa. As you know, I have long been skeptical of this amazing movie pass adventure only 20 bucks i could see as many movies as i wanted a month i used the shit out of it i was going to movie every single day all of the time i was definitely getting my 20 dollars worth and about a week ago i hadn't used the movie pass in a while because i'd been in new orleans and things had just been like really crazy but i'd finally got back home things were sort of moving at a normal pace again i go to see a movie get my movie pass out i go to check in to the movie because you only check in when you actually get there and it won't work it won't let me check in i try again try again I try to delete the app and reinstall it. I try to reset it. I do all these different things. Eventually, the only option left is to contact support. So I try calling them, and the call line is like a two-hour wait. I'm like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not waiting two hours to watch a two-hour movie. But they have a message feature where you just like, it's like instant message, right? Just like all these other services, you message them, and a couple minutes later, someone responds. So I message them. A couple minutes go by. A couple more minutes go by. Ten minutes go by. Twenty minutes go by. No response. I'm like, fuck. At this point, the movie's already started. Like, I've already missed the movie. And I'm just, I'm pissed at this point. So, like, I, all I, I just want to go see my movie. I just want to go watch my movie. And I end up spending an hour trying to get in contact with somebody. And I don't get in contact with anybody. And the next day, 24 hours later, they cancel my su- subscription. What? <sighs> yeah. Huh? Yep. So, movie pass. I mean, I guess I could try again, but then I'm going to get a new card and... I'm afraid that... Why did they cancel it? They didn't tell you why? Nope. They just said your service has been canceled. Did this happen to other people? So I looked on the... When I was re-downloading the app, I was looking at the App Store, and their rating on the App Store is like a two-star rating. And most of the complaints are customer service related and how glitchy the system is. So I'm clearly not alone in this. And as I've been saying since the beginning, like this economic model, it just doesn't make sense. And I guess now we know why is they don't have any customer service <laughs> and they don't put any money into the actual developing of the app. I'm guessing they're using most of their money just to like, I don't know. I mean, honestly, part of me thinks that it's just one of these kind of big tech getaway schemes where, you know, they're just planning to sell it for a shit ton of money and the people who created it are just going to walk away millionaires yeah. and everyone kind of gets fucked over. But, but it has to work at least a little bit. It does have to work hypothetically, right? That's weird that it just like canceled you like that. Isn't there like a process that needs to go into or like, I don't know. It's weird. It sucks. I mean, I I fucking loved it. Oh, you were right. It was too good to be true. It was too good to be true. I mean, I guess I could try again, but I don't want to like do it all again. And then just the same thing happened. Like, I feel like that just make me even more pissed. So some of the theaters have their own version of this, which I think the best. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that too. Regal Unlimited. I think it's a great deal. Passes. It's more expensive than Movie Pass. You can only go to Regals, but it's truly unlimited. And I, I would do that. I, I I would do that if I I was in like walking distance to a movie theater where it's like, well, I might as well get the pass because if I'm by if I'm at like the AMC or by the Regal 
and it's like really close to me, it's like, I can get the pass, you know, I can just kind of go in and, you know, not worry about this or that. I absolutely agree. But the thing with me is the closest Regals in Sacramento. There's none in. Yeah, that right. No, there's none in Reno. So and AMC, which is the only theater out here is just AMC's. They have one that's nine ninety nine a month, but it's only one ticket a month, which like that's just that's the price insane. of a movie ticket. <laughs> so it's like that's not it's yeah. not a deal. Like it's it's fucking it's actually more expensive than if you go see a movie on like a weekday. Like it's like yeah. what? It doesn't make any sense. It's fucking bullshit. So I'm I'm disappointed because I really love the idea of movie pass. Like I love the idea that you pay a monthly fee and you can go see as many movies as you want because it ends up like economically it can end up working out for everyone involved. Because for movie theaters, they sell tickets at a loss anyways. They're loss leaders. So they don't make any money from selling a ticket in the first place. The distributors still get a percentage of the like monthly subscription. Like they're still getting, mm-hmm. you know, their money from that shit. So hypothetically, it can work. It's just they have it priced so low that it's way too janky. Like it needs to be more expensive. Yeah. But the problem is it's like convincing people to pay, you know, 40 or 50 dollars a month, which I, you know, people like you and me probably think it's worth it. Yeah. It the numbers that they need right to scale it's just hard to get lots of people to sign up for something yeah. like that so it makes me sad man <laughs> i really loved movie pass i love this so much it's over it's over man so i haven't been seeing very much in theaters but i did see because i, I insisted on seeing this movie in theaters because i saw the first one in theaters twice which i rarely ever see a movie theater twice which i saw on opening day here in Reno, I saw Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Whoa. Yeah. It's the best movie I've seen in theaters this year. It's amazing. The animation is fucking all over the place. I think the first... So I like the first one a lot. We talked about the first one on the podcast. But this one is... It's entirely different. <laughs> it is just so much more than the first one. I mean, it's just fucking all over the place in animation and it it's just there's like 20 things happening at once almost all the time it's truly a maximalist film it's so much to try to just consume what's on screen like just so much is happening simultaneously there's all these sort of in jokes that you just like miss because they just keep going and going and going it's amazing man i didn't well i did know but i forgot that it's a part one so it's it's a two-parter so uh about it's a two hour and 20 minute film which is the longest animated film to be released in the united states so it's pretty long for an animated film but i don't think there's a single moment i'd cut out i understand why it took him five years to create it it's also the biggest animation project of all time with over a thousand animators on the project and you can see it i mean there's just so many different animation styles going on so much going on every single second is just yeah i think there are a lot of great movies that you can experience at home watching on tv and i think it's great but i do think this is an experience to have in a theater because you really do need a big screen to kind of just grasp all of the different things going on i mean the rate that things go on in this is just incredible and some of the voice acting they get some really great actors for this film really great performances all around really touching stuff it's actually funny enough the director of this film or one of the three directors and one of the writers of this film is kemp powers who is right, the yeah, playwright the one Miami in, guy, this, yeah. in the screenplay for One Night in Miami, which we're showing tonight in our theater. So I like that little connection there. But oh my God, man, it's it's so good. I'm struggling to express my emotions for this film because 
as we've talked about, it very much feels like a film made by a person. It feels like that, which is weird because there are so many people involved in the project and it is associated with Marvel and it is a Sony picture. So there's a lot of things that could go wrong, but it, it has a very specific direction and there's nothing not to love about it. My only complaint actually doesn't have to do with the movie itself. It has to do with the theaters here in Reno. I went and saw it at the Century Summit on the south side here of Reno, which shows the best films in Reno. It has the best programming of anywhere in Reno, which isn't to say much because the programming here in Reno is kind of shit, which is why we build a theater in the first place. But the programming there is pretty okay. Sometimes they'll show some Bollywood stuff every now and then. Nevertheless, the projection is fine. There's nothing great about it. It's fine. But for some reason, and this is true with all the theaters here in Reno, except for the IMAX, they play things super low. Like it's super quiet for some reason. So quiet that sometimes it was hard to hear the dialogue. Like that's how quiet they play it, which is baffling because you have these beautiful giant speakers and they play it super quiet. And I don't know why that is, but it seems to be sort of a trend here in Reno. Like all the theaters here do it. It sucks. Yeah, I hate that shit. Yeah, it, it definitely, you know, you didn't get like, the best part about being in a movie theater is like being able to feel the sound, you know, kind of like shaking in your chest. Yeah, I agree. And you really didn't get that. And I think part of the problem was that we went to an early showing. So they're showing it in a smaller theater. So they probably didn't adjust the sound accordingly. But I don't know. Even even though the sound was a little fucked up, not because of Sorry Man Cross the Spider-Verse, but just because of the theater, which even Brandon complained about. And Brandon, uh, he goes, he's a movie like once a year. So for him yeah. to complain about <laughs> something in a movie says a lot, but it's still an incredible experience. I mean, uh, if you have the chance, listeners, do go see it in IMAX. I know they're showing IMAX uh, in theaters across the country. I think it's an experience worth feeling and seeing on the biggest screen that you possibly can because it's it's a wild ride. I'm not going to go see it, but that's okay. I know you're not going to go see it. I still think you should watch it at some point, though. I'll do the same thing with the uh, first movie in that I'll watch it in like four or five years. <laughs> That's fine. Then you can watch all three. I think the next one is supposed to come out in 2024, but we'll see. I'm kind of doubting that it will because it took five years to make this one. So maybe the reason why it took five years to make is because they were making both. That's true. I think COVID also played a part in it too. So like they so probably have that one, like they probably have like the next movie ready to go. You're probably right. Because they made both. Yeah, you're probably right. I just hope, I don't know. My my concern is the thing about Across the Spider-Verse is it does not feel like the middle of a trilogy until like the very end, which is fine. I'm not complaining about it, but I'm worried that the final piece in the trilogy just really won't hold itself together well enough, like as, an, as a standalone piece. Maybe it will. I don't know. It's just like where they ended this one is so far into the... It's basically into the final act, right? Like they basically played a whole film all the way and then they like stopped, right? Like when the final act started, which is like the final act is usually just a fight scene. So I'm interested to see the final film, but I am afraid that it's not going to be nearly as good as this one. I have my doubts. I guess we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so I will see. see and I'll tell you. You'll see and you'll tell me and I will not see it because <laughs> I just I just am not. I'm glad you liked it, but it's it's not for me personally. First movie was good, but that's just how it is. So what else have you been watching? If you haven't been going to the theater, what else have you been watching? A lot of stuff, I guess. Uh, I'm trying to think, like, what, uh, what's even worth talking about, you know? You ever seen Saturday Night Fever? Yes. I was not a fan. What? 
I didn't like it. It wasn't for me. I found it really slow and boring. No, I love that movie. Well, maybe love is a strong word. I really liked it. <laughs> when, when was the last time you saw it? Uh, well, Probably four years ago. I love Saturday Night Fever, dude. I'm I'm a big fan of the Saturday Night Fever. I like it a lot. I think it's like a very like, I like how like kind of like dirty and low down it is. It's kind of like this working class drama sort of situation. And I also really like yeah. the dancing scenes. I like kind of like the juxtaposition between the dancing scenes and then when they're not dancing and like hanging out, everything sucks. Like their lives suck. Like their family hates them. They have terrible jobs. <laughs> I love that so, so much. And uh, yeah, I'm, I was a big fan of that movie. Saturday Night Fever is a good example of a movie. I'm gonna coin this. I've been I've been I've been tossing around this idea for a little while now. Where there are these movies that came out like in the 70s and 80s that are very ubiquitous and people are very aware of their existence and they're referenced a lot in pop culture. But I think when you actually watch the movie, it's like a much different experience. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of like these like very coked out, weird, insane movies where but there are like a lot of misconceptions about them. And I think Saturday Night Fever is an example of one where I think people go into it thinking it's going to be like Grease, but then it's not at all. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, it's like not a song and dance movie. It's like a very like dark film Yeah, that has like sexual assault and stuff in it, you know? And I think people, people watch it and they're just like, that's terrible. You know, I think I think people like hate on it a lot for that very reason because it's not like Grease, and of course the Bee Gees music, of course, is very famous and people very recognizable. I would say another movie that like fits into the description that I really liked was uh, the movie Bull Durham, baseball movie. Love a baseball movie. Directed and written by Ron Shelton, who just basically does this is like make like sports movies. Oh, okay. And he's directed other movies as well, but Bull Durham. I really enjoyed it. And that's another movie where you're like, uh, you know, it's a sports baseball movie or whatever. It is a baseball movie, but there is something kind of like, there are like other things going on in it that are really weird and specific that I think people didn't realize. It's actually like a very like sexual movie and almost kind of like spiritual as well. It's like Susan Sarandon is like, she lives in like a Durham and they're, they have like a minor league team called the Durham Bulls and she loves baseball. She loves it so much that she has a religious type shrine committed to baseball that has like pictures of baseball players and stuff like that in her home. And her goal every baseball season is to find the best player on the team and like have sex with him so that he's comfortable and stuff. Okay. Because <laughs> she loves baseball so much and she wants the team to do so well. And, and she likes it too. It's not like she's, you know, she's doing it because she wants to do it. She's into it. Yeah. She likes it. And like, and like Kevin Costner and Tim Robbins, like, they end up on the team and they're like, they kind of butt heads and it creates this love triangle between the two of them and Susan Sarandon. And it's a good movie. Cause it's not really, it's not really a movie that's about like the big game, you know, like it's not really like a movie where like they win the super bowl of whatever, you know, the major leagues, whatever the big, you know, the big game, the world series, whatever the fuck it's more just kind of like about like the journey of it. And like, and like kind of like playing each game, you know, day in and day out, that kind of thing, which I find much more interesting than this. And then a kind of like inspirational movie about like, like, a, like, a, like this, like inspirational quote unquote movie about like believing in yourself or whatever. It's more like a movie about like kind of acceptance and like love and um, sort of just kind of like living one day at a time and 
I really liked it. And like, there's some crazy dialogue in it. That's like really kind of like out there, like for a movie like this. And I really recommend it. I, I think it was really good because <laughs> it's like a sports movie, but not really like it, it's, it's, it's much more smarter than that. Well, I always love a good sports movie and I have recently in the last year grown a sort of obsession with baseball. I've just been learning a lot about, not about any particular team, although my personal team is the Oakland A's. That's the team I root for whenever I see a baseball game, but I'm just endlessly fascinated by the sport of baseball because it's so fundamentally different from so many other sports because in most sports, it's usually like whoever is the best at the sport, right? Whoever can throw the ball the farthest or run the fastest, like that's the team that wins. That's the person that wins. But what's so wild about baseball is because they of the way they play, which typically they play 160 games a year. And because of just the mathematics of the sport, pretty much any team can win just like out of sheer luck. And by that, it's the most unpredictable sport because even like the Yankees who are often considered the best team because they put by far more money into it. And the other thing that's wild about baseball is they don't have any caps. So like that allows teams like the Yankees to put hundreds of millions of dollars into baseball players where teams like the Oakland A's or less, you know, teams with a lot less money have to put a lot less money into their players, even though they can have by far the best baseball players by any traditional standard they can still lose to the worst team in baseball because the sport is just so weird and so much luck is involved in the sport. And I love that. I love that about the sport. I love just how crazy it is, just the insane amount of time that's put into the sport of baseball. I mean, you play 160 games, you're playing a game almost every other day, which is fucking wild. That's an insane amount of anything to be doing. I mean, the fact that it doesn't tear people down faster than it does, which it does pretty fast, is amazing. And the way... It's also structured, which is very different from other sports because most sports, it's you're a high school athlete and then you become a college athlete and then you become a professional athlete. But what's weird about baseball, which I don't know another sport that does this, is they have the minor leagues. But what I didn't understand about the minor leagues is the AA and AAA teams are actually owned by major league teams. So all of the minor league teams in whatever city you may have that has a minor league team, that's actually owned by a major league team. And what happens is major league teams recruit players from high school or college and then they put them in the minor league team and if they do good enough in a minor league team they bring them up to a major league team and they'll do the opposite too they'll bring a major league player down to minor leagues it's wild it's just a whole wild system that i find endlessly fascinating for some reason i don't know why see for me i really don't give a fuck about any of that shit (laughs) i really don't care about the minute details going back to bull durham i like that movie because it's unconcerned with that and is more yeah well for the most part you know obviously like uh-huh. the, the, there is still there's like baseball the material involved. there's baseball and there's like the material thing but for me i like kind of like kind of like the spiritual like physical aspect of it in which there's like a kind of like a connection between sports and like love and sex and violence and all this stuff and i think like bull Durham is a good example of that where it kind of finds like a connection in all those subjects you know at one point in the movie tim robbins he's like the star pitcher of the team he starts out the season badly he's not doing very well even though he's like they paid a lot of money for him and he's in a relationship with susan sarandon and they're having sex and he he gets on a good streak and he's winning a lot and he's pitching really well 
he believes that the reason why that is the case is because he and Susan Sarandon have not been having sex. And so they stop. And so he doesn't want to have sex with her because he doesn't want to ruin the streak. And she becomes like very frustrated. So I like that kind of like weird stuff, you know, because that thing has nothing to do with statistics, has nothing to do with like stuff like that. It's just more kind of like a a weird human, I don't know, religion thing. But that's also like Bull Durham works perfectly in baseball because baseball, kind of as you described, there's something religious about it, right? It's of all the sports, it is the one that has the most luck involved. And so people, especially in baseball, baseball players and people who watch baseball, like they do these really weird rituals, right? Like, like it doesn't yeah, work so much. Aspect, I mean, like, yeah. of course you see that. I You kind of see that in a uh, raging bull, right? You've used to have sex before his fight or whatever, but I think it works so much better in something like Bull Durham because it is a sport based so much off of just like lucky charms, right? <laughs> it's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I like the movie. It's a really good movie. It's a kick-ass movie, in fact. Way to watch. That sounds fun. But I think, yeah, people like maybe think it's like this or that when Risky Business would be another movie, I would say, is categorized in this category mm. of movies that you know where people like they they know the 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 scene where he's dancing in his underwear but in yeah. reality the movie <laughs> is much so more dark weird. yeah i'm sort of fascinated by the idea now because there are so many of these movies that have sort of ingrained in the zeitgeist especially of that era the 70s and 80s particularly where there's this image or this moment from these films that we all remember like saturday night fever like risky business or top gun or whatever and we assume for some reason that that's the film. Top Gun was literally another one I was thinking of. Right? Like yeah. it's, we have this perception of the film, but the film really is nothing like that. And I wonder why, like how how does that ingrain, like when it, how does the idea of the film somehow become more powerful than the actual film itself? Right? That's just, just like a, probably just a like weird pop phenomenon. culture and you yeah. know, people satirizing, parodying. It's mostly like movies from like the 70s and 80s, you know? because those movies are crazy you know like they're <laughs> they coked sure out are. you know yeah so i would say point break is another one mm, yeah because that movie's crazy but people think I, I imagine people think it's like kind of like a i don't know like a surfing movie you know like yeah. i don't know <laughs> well sort of speaking on sports movies in preparation for juneteenth and the, some of the showings we're doing i've been trying to watch one of the areas of films that I have not watched very much of or any at all. It, it's probably my weakest area of film, which is black cinema, black filmmakers, black artists, black stories. And uh, in starting this process, I realized why I haven't gotten into it, which is just even though they, even though black cinema is as old as cinema itself, goes way back to the 1920s, it's very hard to find because not because it wasn't made, partly because it was just they weren't a lot of black artists weren't given the money that they needed to make the projects to the level that they needed to. Part of it was just because they were not properly taken care of. So, you know, there's just a, a very large like black hole, as it were, uh, of cinema that has just been forgotten because right, of course, people yeah. didn't think it was important. And, you know, really not until the 1960s that we start preserving film in the first place. And that certainly wasn't the best time to be a black man in America. So, it's been hard to find, like, just finding, you know, a, a good portion of Black cinema has, has been a challenge, but I, I've been working my way through some of the sort of uh, canon of Black cinema, particularly Body and Soul, which is the first film made by an African-American in 1925. It's pretty good. 
I mean, I can see why it's lasted almost a hundred years now. It's a silent film of the era where like plot is the main point. So there's not like a whole lot of gags, which for a silent film is kind of hard to watch because it's an hour and a half long. So like it's a bit slow, but the story's really cool. And I believe they remade it in the 1940s, which I have not watched yet, but it would be interesting to watch. But I do suggest you watch it, Andrew. I think you would enjoy the experience. Like I said, it is a silent film, so it is kind of hard to watch because there's a lot of dialogue. So there's a lot of reading involved, which is my favorite thing. But there's some really cool stuff. Great framing. Very cool. I also watched My Brother's Wedding, which is like a whenever like I look up black cinema, like top black cinema filmmakers and films, the My Brother's Wedding is always near the top of the list. I wasn't a huge fan of it. I think it's mostly because people love the filmmaker and this was his, if not his earliest film, it's one of his earliest films. So he definitely has an eye for filmmaking and I'm interested to see his later stuff. But this is, it reminded me a lot of, what's the name of that movie that we watched? I don't know, a couple of months ago where they're like two gangs. It is like a super low budget film. Did it be by Don? Yes. It has those vibes. (laughs) Okay, cool. Like super low budget. There's some cool stuff in it definitely like none of these people except for maybe one or two are professional actors you know they're just kind of like the friends so there's some charming stuff about it but it's okay and then i watched the killing floor which is bill duke's first feature which the story's really cool so funny enough it came out um not too long after paul schrader's first film blue collar which have you ever seen blue collar yeah i love blue collar it's very similar to blue collar okay but this is actually based on, I don't think Blue Collar is, but this is actually a true story that happened in the 1920s, which it's about uh, unions in the United States going up against the five packers, which are basically the meatpacking district of Chicago. It is an insane story. Like, it's absolutely insane. I think the only thing that holds this back is it is a PBS production. Right. And it looks like one. Yeah. Especially because like, right, it's the 1920s. So it has the looks of a, a PBS film. Right. But Bill Duke definitely has an eye for filmmaking, a fascinating story, some incredible performances here. The fact that this thing really happened and I didn't know about it until like two weeks ago, like the fact that we never learned about this in school is baff. I mean, I understand, you know, I I get why we weren't taught like in the Midwest, but I, I think it's a really important moment in history. And even if you're not really into the story, I think it's really important to learn about this moment in history because it has such an impact, especially today, on what it means to be in a union and uh, the the large industries. You know, of that era, they were the Packers, but today they're the the Googles, the Facebooks. So that was a great experience. And finally, I watched the sports movie, which I referred to earlier, King Richard, which I know you weren't a huge fan of. I don't think it's very good. I mean, it's okay. Like it's just kind of. There are things about it that I find really fascinating. I think. The choice to focus on the dad, I find really intriguing. And I think it was the right choice. But at the same time, my big problem with this film is that it plays Richard as a hero, which if you know anything about Richard Williams, he's complicated. I think, I mean, the fact that he raised children to, you know, two of the best tennis players to ever played. I, I disagree. They make him in the movie like he he like makes him like play tennis outside and like the rain. Yeah. But throughout the movie, they're celebrating him. I guess. Yeah. Because like even at the end of the movie, right. They're like 
his plan worked. Right? He did like, it. Yeah, that's true. Right. Yeah. His plan worked. He did it. Yeah. I'm not saying like they don't, you know, have some jabs at him because they do have some good jabs, but I think they're pulling the jabs. I think they're, I don't think they're hitting hard enough. I think he is a much more complicated character than they want him to be. Right. They want to tell, I think the story they're trying to tell here is like, here's the guy who made two of the greatest tennis players of all time. And, you know, isn't he great? He had a plan and he did it, but I think it's much more complicated than that. And I don't think they recognize that. Yes. Richard plays a big part in them becoming professional athletes. And I'm not denying that. I'm not denying his role, but I think in many ways he also held them back. Yeah. And I still really enjoyed the film. I mean, tennis, again, the sports I love are the sports that there's something weirdly technical about them, like tennis or baseball. And I suppose like these, the athletes of baseball or tennis typically aren't considered like your most athletic types, especially baseball, but even tennis too, like a lot of tennis players look really skinny. Like they don't look, you know, they're not like buff, big people, except for, you know, obviously Serena's like incredibly athletic, but I don't know. I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed the tennis playing. I wish there was more tennis. I think tennis is a really hard sport to film for some reason. If you ever watched tennis on TV, it's really boring to watch on TV. I think I do not enjoy watching tennis on TV. Like I find it the experience to be incredibly boring, but I love watching it in person. And I think it has something to do with just like tennis is a sport where you have to be really close to the person to enjoy it. Like, it's not like football, like football works best, right? The reason football works, like why so many people love it is because it works best in like a bird's eye view, right? Because you need to be able to see like where all the players are going. But with a sport like tennis, which is how they shoot it, like, because they have to, right? Because that ball's going fucking, you know, 100 plus miles per hour. It's just like, you don't really see all the little technical things that are going on behind there. And they try to in this, you know, they, they try to shoot it, but it's still, it's still hard to get it right. And I, I, yeah. I don't have an answer, right? I don't know a good way to film tennis. Like, I, I just think it's a really hard sport to film well. And I just don't think it's been done. Okay. But yeah, man, that's... That's pretty much it. Yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say too today. Yeah, pretty much. Movie shit. (laughs) Well, thank you all for listening. And until next time. Thank you.